Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full-round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to Draft Site's fifth edition of our podcast. We are joined today by DJ Boyer, Zach Gutierrez, and Jared Belson. Hello, everybody. It is December. Hey, Jared, how's it going? I can't believe it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's get started. Today we're going to talk a little bit fierce sporty. We're going to talk the college playoff ball rankings. Uh, we're going to talk the Heisman, the NFL draft, NFL power rankings, fantasy football, and anything else the listeners want to hear. Uh, email us. I'll put an email on the website, or we'll allow people next week, starting next week, to call in, and um, you can submit your questions, and we'll get you on air. So let's let's get started. DJ, tell us about this week's Fear Sporty. Who are the biggest risers? Well, I think the biggest, uh, I would say, riser would have to be at the number one position, because we have had Florida State at number one being the only unbeaten team, but... It's it's just been too long. There's been too many squeakers, too many, too much of playing down to the competition and last minute kind of escapability, beating the likes of teams like uh, Boston College late in Miami and teams that a number one team in the the land should handle uh, without any 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 types of major problems. So Florida State has actually dropped from one to three in the rankings. Alabama moving up to number one. Uh, 99 points in the Iron Bowl. I think that's, we mentioned, that's usually about three years' worth of, of Iron Bowl scoring. But a 55-44 for Auburn in a very entertaining game. Oregon moving up to number two. Both teams, of course, with one loss. Uh, but Florida State being at at three. And, and I think, really, right now, those are going to be the top three teams when the uh, playoff projections are, are released tomorrow. The big question is number four. And I'd love to hear Zach's take on who he has at number four right now. There's teams like TCU, Baylor, Ohio State. There's a lot of teams vying for that fourth spot. I say that you're going to have to go with uh, TCU, and it's really, really uh, difficult to say, especially if, uh, if Baylor manages to beat Kansas State. That you know, with the head-to-head, Baylor beat TCU, so in, in no way should they be able to jump TCU into the rankings. But if you watch TCU play, I think they're a more complete team. Baylor. Barely beat Texas Tech last week. Uh, obviously, as everyone knows, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big uh, Ohio State fan, and uh, but it's going to be tough if you're if you're if you're doing the rankings based on the four best teams at the end of the year. I think you got to go TCU. Obviously, I would have said Ohio State with JT Barrett, but things have changed. Cardell Jones looks good, and Ohio State is able to. I, th- I think they're in a good position to to jump ahead of TCU and stay ahead of Baylor if they can have an impressive win over Wisconsin. So I'm really interested in seeing what they're going to do with the quarterback position because uh, after Cardell Jones, they really don't have anybody else. I think Jalen Marshall is going to play backup for them, who's you know normally their uh, slot receiver. So I say as of right now, though, TCU. My question is, if next week Ohio State beats Wisconsin, TCU beats Iowa State, which doesn't say much, and Baylor beats Kansas State, who we have ranked number seven, then, how do you order four, five, four, five, six? It, it all depends on how they look when they play. But right now, I'd say, based on what I've seen, I say TCU's four as a complete team. I'd almost, I'd almost take uh, Florida State out of there because I'm not even sure if Florida State's the top four team, and there's there's a very good chance they lose to Georgia Tech this week. So that'll that'll maybe open slots for both TCU and Baylor. Now, Georgia Tech is coming into this game with a lot of momentum. Mo is definitely on their side. My thinking was exactly like Zach's. I had TCU at number four, and I briefly put Baylor ahead of TCU, again, largely based upon that head-to-head matchup where Baylor had that furious comeback. But then looking at this past week, TCU, the win over Texas on, on uh, you know right around Thanksgiving, was one of the more impressive victories of the weekend. Texas had really come in, won three in a row, really was playing their best football of the season, and Texas was looking like they were turning, uh, turning the corner and uh, TCU just really laid waste on that game. was not as close as the score would indicate. And, you know, we, we saw Bryce Petty go down, but, you know, he's been out a couple of times, and we've, we've seen uh, Baylor been able to move the ball with their backup quarterback. They still, uh, you know, they're, they're a top-ten rushing team. They've got about three 
running backs there that look like potential NFL material. Scott, uh, Shock Linwood looks like a, a very good running back. It really supplanted uh, Lake Seastrunk at the end of last year and become the, the starter for Baylor, even though they had a, a talented back right there. But giving up 732 yards of offense to Texas Tech, that's not what you would expect out of a, a number four team. And quite frankly, they're, they're lucky they even won that game. We almost don't have this discussion because in just about every facet of the game, Texas Tech won except the final score on the scoreboard. But, DJ, you, you have Kansas State at number seven, and you have Wisconsin at number eight. Say TCU plays a close game with Iowa State, and Ohio State and Baylor both win those games. I mean, you would think Ohio State and Baylor would have to jump TCU based on the, the strength of their opponent in that final week, right? It's possible, but right now TCU has looked so good. I'm, I'm Right now I, I have no problem putting them at four. I think they are head and shoulders above Ohio State or Baylor. I, th- I think I've got Ohio State at five. I think they're the next closest team, but they're the real wild card team here again. How are the voters going to see the, the loss of JT Barrett? And, and there's a lot that's going to go into how they actually look at the quarterback position next week. And they're, they're playing a Wisconsin team that's, you know, been on a roll. They were, you know, they had started the season at one and two. So they've, they've won a number of games. They've won their side of the, of the Big Ten you know, they have the best running back right now in the nation in Melvin Gordon. So this is not a, this is not a gimme game even if JT Barrett is playing. I think uh, Ohio State would probably be favored slightly. Now they're probably a bit of an underdog with uh, an uncertainty of quarterback. So TCU would really have to uh, lay an egg against Iowa State. Iowa State's come up with a couple of gems every now and again. They're, they're not a bad team. They're just uh, not quite on the level of a lot of their, their Big 12 uh, counterparts. Uh, but in, in some uh, other divisions, they probably uh, – they're a little bit better. I think the Big 12 gets a little bit of a bad, a bad rap. I think they're a little better than a lot of uh, – the conference is a little better than what a lot of people give them credit for. But uh, TC would really, really have to look bad. Zach, let me ask you, who do you think is the best two-loss team? We have Kansas State, Wisconsin, Mississippi State, Arizona, Missouri, Michigan State, and Georgia Tech. Why all the one-loss teams lost this week? Out of those two lost teams, who's the best one in your mind? I say Michigan State, most complete team. Connor Cook's a pro prospect. They got they got the right players at the right positions. They got Jeremy Langford. Uh, the defense is lights out. There are only two losses of the year to Ohio State and Oregon. I'd take them on a neutral field over the other two lost teams that you said, but it should be interesting. I mean, we haven't talked about the possibility of Missouri maybe beating Bama. I know it's unlikely, but then that would really mess things up because do you put a two-loss Bama team ahead of uh, a one-loss Baylor team or uh, a one-loss TCU team. How can you have the first playoff and not have an SEC representative? So uh, that should be interesting to see. And I think that's, I think that's where the anarchy kicks in if, uh, if Missouri somehow is able to beat Alabama. And, and taking this a step further, I, I think you can't have a playoff without an SEC team. You probably can't have a playoff without a Pac-12 team uh, with the good play that's going on there. And, and, again, we've talked about what if Missouri beats Alabama. Well, if Arizona is able to beat uh, Oregon, and people really got to stop and look and say, well, where's that one Oregon loss come from? It, it actually comes from Arizona. So Arizona's done it once. Is it likely they do it again? I think not. But, you know, they've done it once, so it would not be a complete shock. If Arizona pulls the upset and has two wins over an Oregon team, it's going to be hard to keep them out as well. Good point. So now – a lot of the teams that you mentioned, Oregon, Wisconsin, Alabama, Ohio State, all those teams have one of, one of your top guys in the Heisman rankings uh, on their list, DJ. Right now, that was, it was released today. You have Marcus Mariota at number one, Melvin Gordon at number two, Amari Cooper from Alabama at number three, and JT Barrett, who is now up for the season, at number four. What was your rationale keeping him there at number four? I really think if Ohio State's able to win that game next week and they're, they're still alive for the playoff, then there's probably still a case. I, I don't think he would win, but could we see JT Barrett actually still invited or be a finalist? I think it's very, very likely because it, does Ohio State win a conference championship without the play of JT Barrett? Absolutely no way. I, I don't think he can win a Heisman at this point, but he would still have to get some votes because Ohio State probably has at least three losses on their record without the play that we saw at quarterback with him coming in and, you know, not being the starter for the beginning of the year, coming in for Braxton Miller. And Amari Cooper would probably be the biggest riser this week because anyone who saw that game, that was one of the more dominant wide receiver uh, performances we've seen in recent memory. It just looked like any pass that Blake Sims made, he could just 
just kind of throw it up and, and Amari Cooper was going to get it done. He really just laid waste to an Auburn secondary that's been plagued by some inconsistency, but there's some good prospects there. They've, they've got a, a couple of safeties that look like they're going to play at the NFL level. So this wasn't a uh, you know, like a Western Carolina from the week before or kind of a, a team that Alabama was expected to roll over again. They had to come back after that, uh, that disappointing loss last year. We all see how that ended. So there was a lot riding on this game, and Amari Cooper just rose to the occasion, and he just did everything. Zach, who's your Heisman pick right now? I'm doing the same top fours uh, as DJ. Uh, I mean, I'm a little bit biased because I love the Big Ten, and I think Melvin Gordon especially, if uh, Melvin Gordon tears up Ohio State next week and uh, Mariota somehow loses to Arizona, then you got to do it. And I think, like, kind of the opposite of what DJ said. He says if Ohio State wins next week and they're still in it, I think it bodes better for him if they get blown out by Wisconsin. And I think that earns him an invite because – not only does it show that Ohio State is a huge part, J.T. Barrett, at least their offense production is, but he set Ohio State records for yards from scrimmage, uh, total touchdown passes. I think he set the Big Ten record for total touchdown passes, so I, that at least warrants an invite. Uh, there's almost no way he'll win it, but uh, I'd say I, I say Melvin Gordon. Uh, but uh, if Mariota beats Arizona on a neutral field, there's no way that Mariota doesn't win the Heisman. It's a lock. Now, if TCU wins out and they win the next game and they make it all the way to the national championship game, does Trevon Boykin deserve uh, entry that pick? No, because they only play they only play Iowa State. They only, if they, maybe if there was like a, a a a better Big Twelve championship like there used to be, then then yeah, but definitely not. There's, they have one more game left, and there's no way that he's going to jump Melvin Gordon or Mari Cooper or. J.T. Barrett or Marcus Mariota? I think there's a good chance that he possibly gets an invite, maybe if, if J.T. Barrett, unfortunately, is, is not invited to New York because of the, the injury situation. Uh, is he a finalist? I think there's a possibility. Uh, as far as winning the award, uh, it's about as long shot as it can be right now. Uh, a very, very good season. Uh, there was so much expected of T.C. over the last few years with a couple of the other quarterbacks they've had. This was kind of the lowest expectations we've seen for, for T.C.U., especially at the uh, at, at the signal caller position, and lo and behold, they've definitely delivered uh, when, when no one was expecting them to. Now, there's some great quarterbacks on this list right now. Um, outside of the obvious Marcus Mariota and J.T. Barrett as a freshman, you have guys like Prescott and the aforementioned Boykin, but then we also have uh, Cody Kessler, who's been having an unbelievable season, and Garrett Grayson. How do you look at those guys uh, for specifically, let's say, Prescott and Kessler as NFL prospects. DJ, what do you think? Uh, Prescott, I, I, I'm not really buying right now. I mean, there's there's talk that he's probably a second or third round pick if, if he makes himself available. I, I just don't see it. He's just not the polished passer at this point. Um, and as far as Kessler, a little bit undersized. I think there's some questions about whether he has the big-time arm. But really with him, the decision-making has been – very precise this year. They, that's not the easiest offense to come in and run. It's a, a first-year system under Steve Sarkeesian. He's, he's had some good uh, playmakers around him, but I've just really been impressed with the decision-making that he's shown. And I think when you're in a, when you're in a conference where you've got a Marcus Mariota, where Brett Hundley is, is thought of as such a highly touted prospect and has all but said that he's coming out for next year, Sean Mannion, who unfortunately doesn't have the the talent around him, but he could be, he's probably still a third or fourth round uh, pick and one of the, the top senior quarterbacks available. Uh, there's just so many good uh, quarterbacks in this conference that I think uh, Cody Kessler's has flown under the radar a bit. I think he's probably a, a late round selection um, at, at some point, whether it be this year or next, but uh, I don't see him as a big time prospect. Garrett Grayson, there's a possibility there. He's kind of uh, come out of nowhere, still need to do a little bit more study on him. He's, he's really kind of flown under the radar for me. But for him, it's really showing teams that he can stay healthy. He was plagued by injuries for, for much of his uh, the early part of his career. So he's, he's flown under the radar as well, not only playing in the Mountain West, but uh, I don't think a lot of people were expecting him to have an injury-free season. It's, it's not, been a, uh, not been something he's shown that he can do in the past to stay healthy on a consistent basis. Uh, yeah, I like, I, like everything he, I like everything he said. Kessler, to me, is an excellent decision maker. I'm not sure about how strong his arm is. I watched Grayson this week lose to Air Force. Uh, he's got incredible touch, and he's huge, but, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if he's any better than Connor Cook. Uh, Dak Prescott is out of the three. I would say probably the best pro prospect just because not only is he big and uh, 
more accurate than people give him credit for. I think a lot of people don't think he's as good as a passer because he literally never throws a good-looking ball. He gets it there, but, I mean, I've, I've seen him throw, like, five spirals all year. Uh, but just based on the upside, like, uh, you see somebody like Logan Thomas sit. You know, if you get a, if you get somebody like, uh, like Bruce Arians and falls in love with somebody like Logan Thomas, I don't mean to compare him because, like, they're the same size and the same, you know, athletic ability, but I'd say he translates probably the best of it as of right now. But like DJ said, I haven't seen enough of Grayson. I've only seen a few games. He throws an incredibly accurate ball, especially a deep ball. Uh, and he's big, but, uh, I mean, Kessler to me looks like Brian Hoyer, best case scenario. And that's not to say that he's bad. Excellent decision maker. Crazy. I mean, uh, the hit against Notre Dame, he was literally perfect. So maybe, maybe he comes out this year, but he's definitely, in my mind, not, not a, uh, first or second round pick. And how about, uh, DJ? How about your boy Shane Carden? Where does he stack up against the Heisman candidates in terms of draft prospects? Uh, I think that he doesn't do anything just outstanding. There's really no deficiencies in his game. Um, when, when I look at him, he he's very reminiscent of Brad Johnson. The way that uh, to go back and go back a few years and make a comparison there. Just the, his command on the field. Uh, I, he doesn't get a ton of yards, but he, he's a lot like Ben Roethlisberger in the fact that he just knows how to step up and, and avoid pressure. He just kind of has a way of feeling it and kind of senses people around him. He really does a good job of making space or creating plays when nothing's really there. He's had some, obviously Justin uh, Hardy is a target who set the uh, FBS record for receptions. He's had some good people around him. They've had a pretty good running game. But again, you know, I, I do like some of the small school quarterbacks. Him, another guy, Tyler Heineke, I think doesn't get a lot of, of play. Uh, a guy from Old Dominion, a, a team that's actually moved into FBS this year. He's a, a, a smaller guy, but a big arm. Don't let the size fool you, even though that he's, I'll about just a hair under 6'2". He's more the 6'1 and a half to 6'2 type guy, about 210. Would maybe have to put on a little bit of weight on his frame. But for a guy that size, a lot of velocity on his passes. He really, The timing is down. Uh, I, what I like about him is the complexity of the offense there. He, he's done it where he's uh, in the shotgun. He runs kind of a pro style. He's, he can really mix it up. He can do a little more uh, with his feet and actually throwing the ball on the run. I like the the different looks that he gives us. He, he's still uh, got a, a, a few hiccups in that delivery. I think that that would have to be polished up a bit. There would be some coaching that would be needed, but uh, really, really like the prospect there. If you if you're go to a, a small school type, uh, Tyler Heineke is a guy that I think is probably going to get drafted in about the fourth or fifth round and uh, you know could end up making his mark in the NFL at some point. Let's go back to the Heisman race for a second. Every year it seems that there's one dominant defensive player who gets some consideration. DJ, who is that for you this year? Well, you'd have to go. The only thing that hurts him is Hioli Kakaha from Washington, a guy just like Garrett Grayson. His first two years, he was injured constantly. Last year, you know, he was the first year he really proved that he was able to kind of stay healthy. Came in with, uh, I believe it was 13 and a half sacks as a junior. This year he shattered that. He's uh, set the uh, second in the, the Pac-12 all time for uh, tackles for loss. He's over over 20 for that. I believe he's at 21 for the year, about 16, 17 sacks. Uh, so I think the, the only thing that kind of hurts him is there's so many good players at Washington. I know we touched upon it in one of the, the past podcasts. You've got a Marcus Peters, who unfortunately has been dismissed from the team but it's still going to see a lot of action. You've got a Shaq Thompson, who's a great linebacker. You've got Dane Sheltoner, uh, who's really kind of emerged as one of the uh, the better defensive tackles for this draft and, and, and could be the first one on, or the second one off the board behind the Leonard Williams. I think the only thing that kind of hurts him is the fact that there's so many good playmakers around him, and Washington's going to, going to see a lot of people taken in, the uh, I'd say, the first two or three rounds. But he's a very dominant defensive player, and I think someone that uh, should get looked at. Zach Sanchez uh, has really done a better job at Oklahoma. A lot of the big plays that Oklahoma's really given up has been other places throughout the secondary. And, uh, I think when, when teams have kind of gone at him or he's, he's really done a good job at making big plays, he is available. But I, I don't know if he comes out this year, but he is a redshirt sophomore. He would be available if he did want to declare for this year's draft. I say that there's uh, there's nobody. There's usually that one polarizing defensive playmakers, but the thing that that DJ mentioned, a lot of the the like the, the premier defensive players are pass rushers. Uh, not too many forced fumbles. I'd say like if you had to pick somebody, even though 
this is just a shot in the dark. I, I'd go Shane Ray just because of the publicity, and he has a chance to, to do something special against Alabama. But you, you don't have that Tyron Matthew, Patrick Peterson, or, or really anybody in the LSU secondary that, that's making crazy plays. And for a defender to even be considered a Heisman candidate, I'm, I think they're going to have to do something like like play like Derek Thomas at outside linebacker or, or return kicks and play on both sides of the ball. But this year there's no one that's even been in the Heisman consideration for even a millisecond. It was set up for Victor Beasley, and he's had a good year, but he hasn't had a great year. I think he would, he would have been that guy that Zach was referring to. It would have been perfect for him. I think he would have been a top 10 or 15 pick had he come out last year. Stock, I think he's going to be picked around the same, same portion of this draft, but he's the guy that probably could have taken that torch and ran with it. And, again, he's been good, but he hasn't been great. Uh, a guy who, who made an impact last week who, in my mind, is one of my favorite players in this upcoming draft, Damian Swan. DJ, what do you think of him as a prospect? I like him a lot. Really, I think it was more just because of his uh, the fact that uh, he's able to cover so much ground, and he's a very good run defender. We see so many people in the secondary who really kind of focus on uh, making interceptions, getting those numbers, the big uh, the big plays, and you know we're we're seeing more and more cornerbacks who it's the last thing they want to do is is put a hat on someone. But Swan is a guy that. You know, he was really recruited as, as more of a linebacker. He was kind of that hybrid linebacker slash strong safety type and has really, uh, you know, done more at the cornerback position as well. They're really able to move him around more like a rover in that secondary. So the versatility has definitely come in handy and the fact that he plays the run just about as well as he does the pass. And, again, there's, there's definite flaws in the game. This is not a guy that's going to come in and be a, a can't-miss prospect or a definite first-rounder. Tough upside in his game and he's so strong in so many areas and shows so much promise that that he should uh he's a guy whose whose draft stock is definitely going to be on the up on the upswing yeah he's a playmaker but he's definitely not he's not huge he's uh, i mean he doesn't look like he's any weighs any more than 190 pounds uh his touchdown against georgia tech i think was uh i i think should have been rule forward progress the fact that he's a captain uh obviously bodes well for him but uh i mean i don't see anything incredibly special other than the versatility. Now, when we talk about college prospects, one question I have is, assuming the 2015 draft were tomorrow and Leonard Wilson declares, Mari Cooper, Landon Collins, who still available the following year should we keep an eye out for for the 2016 draft who could be a top five pick? Anyone catch your eyes, either of you? I would say Miles Jack. Again, versatility there. He's had a couple of, of games where uh, it, maybe he's kind of disappeared, but he's made so many so many big plays. We've seen him as a running back, much like Shaq Thompson at Washington. Jack just – he's a guy that can play inside or outside. Uh, he really screams top five pick to me. He would be a junior next year. Uh, he was actually a, playing as a true freshman last year, so he is a, a true sophomore per se, so he would have to wait till next year. To me, he would look like a definite top five guy if he declares, which he should. And uh, as you already know, I'm a little biased, but Joey Boson, Ohio State, I think he leads the Big Ten in tackles for a loss. He's a true sophomore out of the state of Florida. Just dominating force. Versatile, can play the five technique in a 3-4, can play defensive tackle in a 4-3. So uh, that's somebody uh, I'm definitely keeping my eye out for. How about a guy who is leading the league in a lot of different categories, uh, Scooby Wright out of Arizona. Anyone have an opinion on him? Hard worker. He a top pick? I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. I think he would definitely get drafted. To me, he he reminds me a lot of a, a player that we saw at Wake Forest a few years back, a Kevin Aberdarius, who had amazing college numbers. Unfortunately, didn't make it at the NFL level. I think Scooby Wright would have a, a a little more of a chance. You know, maybe with a big year, maybe third round would probably be the the top top there. I, I don't see him as a first or second round pick right now. But he's a guy that really just kind of came out of nowhere. Not only the fact that he's been playing so well, but just by all accounts, just seems to be a real kind of a true leader on the field emotionally and just seems to get it. Uh, there's just countless stories about the, how intellectual this guy is, and it just seems to be to translate as being a leader on the field as well, just a great football mind. Uh, he's, he's not big enough for me, though, and he's not fast enough. So to me, he's, he's kind of like a Michael Sam where he falls in between, where he's too slow to play outside linebacker. I don't think he weighs over 250, so I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know enough about him against the run. To say that you know he's he's worth a, a you know, first three round pick, but uh, obviously he had a great week last week, so and we'll see you against Oregon. 
Let's shift gears now to the NFL. Obviously, it was a big week. The playoff contention is starting to be determined in some areas and starting to be even more confusing in other areas. Zach, if you were going to do the power rankings, who would be your top five teams this week? Uh, you got to go Packers-Patriots, still 1-2 in my opinion. It was a close game. If that was on a neutral field uh, and it were played next week, uh, I don't know. I think it would be a push. I don't know. You could you could favor either one of those teams, uh, but with with Eddie Lacy running the way that he's running, and uh, obviously having Aaron Rodgers and coming off the win, I, I have to put the pack. Oh no, sorry, Packers one, Patriots two, Seahawks three. It's only a matter of time before the Seahawks overtake the Cardinals, and they're going to have a home field game. And I think the NFC is going to come down to the Seahawks and Lambeau, which would be very interesting. You got to go with the Broncos four, and then I'll throw a little bit of a curveball here. I'm going to go with the Ravens at five. Even though they come off a devastating loss to the Chargers, I think they're a complete team. And the one thing that I always thought they were lacking is because of, obviously, with Ray Rice, uh, the running game, but four sets come in. He's run for 1,000 yards. They look like a complete team. They look like a defense that's only going to get better as the season goes on. And they're a team that's not relying on uh, home field advantage to do damage. And I put them over the Colts, and I, I put them a little bit over the Steelers. Well, I think you bring up an interesting point because you never really give this team a lot of credit, but uh, San Diego did beat them. Why Why don't you consider San Diego above the Baltimore Ravens? Defensively, I don't think they're elite. Uh, so, and, and there's absolutely no way that they're going to get a, uh, a playoff game, a home playoff game. The Ravens at least have potential for a home playoff game. I know I said that they're not relying on the home field advantage, but I'm, in a rematch, I can almost guarantee you that uh, – if those two were to play, it would be in Baltimore in a playoff scenario. Because, there's, like I said, there's no way San Diego's getting a home playoff game, and uh, and the Ravens would be favored. That's all I'm saying. People get hung up on the results of last week way too often, and in gambling they get hung up, and in fantasy they get hung up. And really, it was just it, it was just one week. The sample size is always too small. So, like I said, if you were to move forward and you were to put that game in week three, or if it wasn't just last week, if you watch that game, the Ravens should have won. It was it was Really incredible uh, that the Chargers came back there. The beneficiaries of a questionable pass interference call. So I mean, I, I would, I would, if I'm a betting man, which I am, I'd bet on the Ravens to win that the AFC over the Chargers. I'd make the odds, you know, longer for the Chargers. DJ, what do you think? Top five. I'm still putting the Patriots number one. I think uh, that team was a little bit closer than I anticipated. I That's think fair. if that is on a neutral field, I think the Patriots are a better team. I think Aaron Rodgers has shown he's the most valuable player in football. He's having one of the, you know, the most amazing runs. What is it now? It was 33 TD passes in a row at home without an interception. It's like, uh, you know, only three interceptions on the season. It's just ridiculous the number he's putting numbers he's putting up. But I, I was really impressed early on with the fact that they were running Eddie Lacy more. They weren't going to the big guns like a Jordy Nelson or a or Randall Cobb. We saw Devontae Adams, a rookie from last year out of Fresno State, making some pretty, pretty big contributions. Aaron Rodgers was stepping up and running the ball a little bit more. He was really taking what the defense presented him and not um, really just trying to force the ball in there. But that being said, you know, the, the secondary from New England played didn't play that badly against Aaron Rodgers. Um, I, I think that – Overall, who's the better team? I really think it's New England right now. I still think they're the best team that the NFL has to offer. I think the road in the NFC has to go through Green Bay. I would put them at two. I would definitely put Seattle at three. I think this is a big game this week, one that hasn't gotten nearly as much press, the game with the Eagles. I think there was so much wrapped up with, with the division with that Eagles-Cowboys game, which turned into be uh, just a bigger slaughter than a lot of us would have imagined. Uh, I still think maybe Philadelphia wins that game with the home field advantage, but I think Seattle is the more complete team. That really, to me, comes down to the line of scrimmage. If Seattle's able to get the, the pressure on uh, Mark Sanchez and really kind of mix things up, I see them going into Philadelphia and winning that game. But the Philadelphia, you know, uh, the rushing attack's been a lot better. The, the offensive line, we've seen what they can do now that everyone's healthy and they've played uh, three or four games together as a unit, and it's no mystery. That's why LaShawn McCoy's numbers are going up. So I put Seattle probably at three right now, Philadelphia at four, and number five overall, I'm still going Pittsburgh. It, it just, it's frustrating how they play down to their comp- competition, losing to the Saints, losing to the Jets, losing to the Buccaneers. But, again, this is a playoff-tested team, a team that can win on the road, and it's why I put them ahead of a team like San Diego, who I like, the fact that they are eight and four, but 
We've seen it. Even though this is a passing league, you've got to be able to run the football in the playoffs. And Le'Veon Bell is going to be that, that answer for Pittsburgh, as good as Ben Roethlisberger's been. But the fact that he's an all-around guy, there's a, a lot of versatility with Le'Veon Bell. San Diego doesn't have that running back because, you know, Ryan Matthews has probably been hurt about 13 times in the last three years. They don't have that other guy behind him that's really going to stabilize that offense. It's just going to be too much of a, of a, a one-trick pony, per se. And, you know, they've got some talented receivers there, but it's going to wear thin. The offensive line, I just don't think it's going to hold up and, and let uh, Phillip Rivers chuck it 50 to 55 times, which is what they're going to have to do to beat some of the more elite teams. So I think San Diego is one of the biggest pretenders that we see out there. Along with the Bengals, how they have eight wins right now just defies anything that I've seen. It's, it's amazing how the Bengals are 8-3-1 and one right now. I have no idea. Well, they haven't played the Steelers yet, and I'm not sure that you put the Steelers over the Broncos. And I, I know the Steelers played under the competition, but I wouldn't say that the Saints, I mean, the Saints were the best four-win team. In football. But the one thing that, that Dick LeBeau coached Steeler defenses have always struggled with is playing against elite quarterbacks. It's uh, uh, it's really why Brady and Breeze and Rodgers, if you go back and you look at the games where they played against Brady in the playoffs and how, how even in the regular season, how successful he's been, they've only played, while LeBeau's the coordinator, they've only played Breeze twice since he's on the Saints. They've lost both times. Uh, and then Rodgers in the Super Bowl, which where they have, they have, they really did have an excellent game plan. And Rodgers is just, you know, in my opinion, far and away the best player in the NFL. And that's why I put them number one. But uh, I don't. I couldn't put them over the Broncos, say. And I know I left the Eagles out, B, and it's because, like I said before, people put too much emphasis on one, one week. I know they looked excellent, and, and they're starting to run the ball, which is encouraging. But uh, they're still I, – I, at the beginning of the year on draft set, I said they were the best bet to win the Super Bowl at the very beginning when, it was, when they were 30-1. to 1. But uh, they're still a little too gimmicky, and I haven't seen anybody like that win, win, a, uh, win a Super Bowl or do much – damage in the playoffs, so I had to leave them out and put them at borderline top five, like six, seven. Yeah, and, and Denver just, I don't think that defense is going to come up with the big stops when they need it. On offense, I think they, they might even be a little bit better. They're, they've shown that they can run it with, with three different people now. Uh, Monty Ball hasn't been nearly as efficient, and, and unfortunately he's didn't have the type of numbers that a C.J. Anderson or even Ronnie Hillman when he was in there for a while um, has, has been able to put up. I really think the Julius, uh, the Julius Thomas injury Hopefully they, they're, they're able to get him back and he's, he's not out for too long because I think that's really, really a big injury for the Broncos. And, and we saw they, they've got some people they can throw in there, but that's definitely a person I think they, they miss him more than, say, even if a Demarius Thomas would go down. I think that is the one guy right now, Julius Thomas, and what, what they do with him at tight end that they could ill afford to lose. I, I, I mean, it, it was good. The, the, the signing of T.J. Ward was good, but at the same time, I just don't see this as an elite-level defense, and, and I think it's just going just gonna to come back to bite the Broncos at some point, which is why I really thought the Chiefs were going to win this game this past week and, and really tighten that. Me division. too. A little bit disappointed with, with the effort that was put up there and the fact that wide receivers still don't have a touchdown catch in Kansas City. That's one of the more <laughs> mind-boggling statistics on, on, for the entire season. Yeah, I think anyone who had Dwayne Bow on their fantasy team this year knows that uh, they've been a little disappointing in that category. I think anybody that had Dwayne Bow on their fantasy team last year knows that they were pretty disappointing in that category, too. That's true. Well, speaking of fantasy, Zach, why don't you, uh, you know, playoffs are coming up. I think it was week 14 in fantasy. It's probably the start of playoffs for a lot of people, uh, depending on how tonight goes. Who are the guys that you target to pick up or off of waivers that will help help someone into the fantasy playoffs. Well, if Moncrief is still available, he's an obvious uh, he's an obvious pickup. Uh, I'd still stash any Bronco running back that's available because cause you really never know. Uh, I'd still never start a Patriot running back. I really would never start anybody in the in the NFC West. But uh, I mean, Moncrief is one. But I I'd have to say uh, I mean if you got if you need somebody tonight, I would. I expect uh, Jarvis Landry to have a big night tonight. And there's some nights. I mean, there's some leagues where he's still available. But other than that, if you're a playoff team, you're probably not looking to start somebody that's on the waiver wire as of a week ago. One of the people I mentioned, and he showed it. I mean, we didn't expect these kind of numbers. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, the three weeks starting with last week, and and you know, Houston's going to get the Jaguars this week, and I'm. I'm trying to think who they play the week after. It might be Tennessee, but I know it's a very favorable matchup. Talk about a guy with just three games that just scream, hey, if you really need a quarterback or you've got a bad matchup, 
start looking Ryan Fitzpatrick what, uh, his way. Again, we weren't expecting six touchdowns and the, you know, just the, just the awesome numbers that he put up. But it's probably a pretty good play. But I, I think the question on everyone's mind out there, and I want to hear Zach's opinion, is does any, what do the Browns do with Johnny Manziel? Of course, that's going to be the question everyone's going to want to ask. He got into that game. He goes down, leads his team for a touchdown on the very first drive. Does anyone even make a, make a kind of a play for a Johnny Manziel? The fact that with, with those rushing numbers, you know, maybe, like you said, kind of gimmicky, maybe for a couple weeks, does this kind of pay off? Uh, I say, I mean, the thing is, I, I didn't like Manziel's chances to play at all this year because if you know any, if you know any of the background between uh, Mike Pettin and Brian Horry, you know they have a serious bromance going on. Uh, Pettin wrote him a letter after he tore his ACL. Uh, if you remember, he tore it against the Browns last year. I'm sorry, he tore it against the Bills last year when Pettin was the defense coordinator. Uh, so I, this whole year, I, I thought there was no way, no matter what happened, that Manziel was going to get in. But after watching him, I say, and, and the way that he's playing it, Penn's playing it so close to the vest makes me wonder. Uh, they're still in, they're, they're still seven and five. They're still definitely in the AFC North. As soon as Manziel came in, I was on Red Zone. I got the NFL Sunday ticket. I went straight to the Browns game. I watched every snap he took. Uh, I like, I, the Browns, to me, especially minus Jordan Cameron, if they don't get the run game going with Hoyer, I mean, they're dangerously one-dimensional. I like the fact that Manziel can extend plays and allow Josh Gordon to get downfield, and, uh, and that's something you really don't see, see Hoyer do, extending plays. And I think on a team that really uh, offensively is, even though they're 7-5, and five, hasn't been prolific all year, you, I say you got to start. you got to start Manziel, but I'm a huge Johnny football fan. And in terms of fantasy, if he plays, he's, he's not a horrible play. But uh, like DJ said, I love Fitzpatrick, especially this week against the Jaguars. How, how could you not? And I know that I said uh, one week, you know, people tend to put too much emphasis on one week, but he's, he's really looked sharp all year. And, uh, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're playing and you've already been benched, you're kind of just playing, you know, the, I, I sense in the way that he's playing that there's just no pressure on him. The press conference after the game, he just seemed like he was in a very good place, and uh, I think that's a good combination this week, first week fantasy playoffs, him coming off an incredibly hot week with DeAndre Hopkins stepping up against the Jaguars. So I think, I think that's a, a good play, even if you have a, you know, a decent quarterback, unless you have one of the elite quarterbacks, it's something worth considering. Two other people I want to mention on offense, one being at the quarterback position. I think we see this sometimes, especially in fantasy. You've got those players who their team – you know, they're down 21, 20 points. They get those, quote, garbage yards. I remember back in the late 90s winning two straight years, actually winning a league with Aaron Brooks as a quarterback because the guy would throw for like 4,300 yards a year, but I swear 3,000 of them came in the fourth quarter when his team was down downs <laughs> and just rode, rode into big fantasy numbers. Colt McCoy, couple of uh, – we've seen this now where he's had some 300-yard games. He's had two to three touchdowns. He just seems, to me – it's just set up where he's the benefactor. His team is just not responding. They're, they're constantly digging themselves in a hole. Colton McCoy's got to chuck it and put the ball up a lot. And I think be, you know, playing some, some looser defenses and maybe some, some favorable matchups on his part, he could be the, he could be a benefactor for someone who's really kind of quarterback hungry out there. He could put up some pretty good numbers. I even in defeat, he had decent numbers this week from a fantasy perspective. Another guy that I really like now that Sean Hill is back with the Rams. The one guy that he seemed to build a lot of rapport with and was kind of on that, that scout team or that second team kind of uh, throwing a lot of passes to was Stedman Bailey. And now that Stedman Bailey's seen more action after the injury to Brian Quick, he had a 100-yard game this past week. And since now Sean Hill is the guy there, um, you know, back at the quarterback position, there seems to be a chemistry there. So if you're kind of in a, a deep league or looking for a wide receiver, Stedman Bailey's probably available in a lot of them, especially even in leagues where – you might even uh, be able to get some extra points for return yards or, you know, maybe your wide receiver actually returns a punt or a kickoff, which we've seen Stedman Bailey do in the past. Stedman Bailey's not a bad pickup at this point because he's probably available in a lot of leagues. Stedman Bailey's an excellent pickup, but uh, a lot of people get their fantasy information from ESPN, and they wrote a nice write-up about him last week, how he's, uh, like you said, built the rapport with Sean Hill, and uh, that would be a nice pickup. So in a lot of leagues, he got, he got swooped up, but I love the Sean Hill play. I love the Rams as a team anybody on that team for fantasy. I'm not saying go out and start Stedman Bailey over Antonio Brown, but I was this close to starting Trey Mason over Arian Foster this week, and I decided not to. I started Mike Evans over DeAndre Hopkins, so I'm in that same boat there. I think we got to see now if uh, Mike Evans is going to 
find his way into WrestleMania or get a WWE deal because that was one of the uh, the bigger plays we saw this weekend and one that you'll see on YouTube over and over again. Yeah, I think there will be some interesting dilemmas for people in the playoffs. I think, for instance, you know, Monday, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, one week they'll be amazing, and the next week they'll be mediocre. Who would you start next week if it's Mike Evans or DeAndre Hopkins and it's the first week of the playoffs, Zach? I go with Evans just based on uh, on targets. Uh, Hopkins has been getting targeted a lot lately, but uh, like I said, it's the one-week thing people – everybody that has DeAndre Hopkins is going to start him next week, and he's going to have three catches for 47 yards, and people are going to be scratching their heads because people usually don't put string receiving games together like that unless they're Josh Gordon. But, uh, I, I mean, I would take Evans over him. I would take Evans over uh, Evans, to me, is a perennial top-ten play now as a wide receiver. He's definitely a perennial top-ten play. I would, But I would have to take Hopkins in this situation just because of the matchup. Yeah. Because you're looking at the Jaguars. The Jaguar, it, it's such a mystery because there's some talent on, the, on this defense, but they, they seem to play well for seven, eight plays, and then there's that one play where they fall asleep, and it just seems like they're exposed every time. It's, if you're a Jaguar fan, it's got to be frustrating to watch. And opposing quarterbacks, I think I was looking at this stat today, uh, the average QB rating against the Jaguar secondary right now is 113 on the season. That is that's pretty bad. I think they, they said that would be the second highest in, in history. So just because that, it just seems like a favorable matchup. I think Mike Evans has the better long-term career. He's the better player. But just based on a, on a matchup standpoint, especially if, if Fitzpatrick comes close to what he did last week, but I, you, you can't go, go wrong with either one. You, you have to play in, in any league. I think that both probably are going to be started about 95% of the time. It would take a lot to actually bench one of those two players right now because the torch has officially been handed off, I think, in Houston from – from Andre Johnson to DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Hopkins. I think the one position that some teams in the playoffs will be needing help on is defense. Are there any teams that you think that some of these playoff teams in fantasy football should target for next week and the, and the weeks following if they happen to win? Uh, I'd say anybody that's playing the Jaguars, the Raiders, the Jets, I always tend to target those teams. Uh, other than that, I'd say if somebody – Dropped Seattle because they're playing Philadelphia, and a lot of te- a lot of leagues people like I, I never start the same defense twice. I mean, I'm sure at some point in the season I do, but I mean, I, I don't draft a defense. I take a defense based on the matchup. If somebody drops Seattle against uh, Philadelphia, and uh, but it, it should be it should be relatively easy because people aren't going to be poaching defenses because there's only going to be four teams really active this week. Usually, in most, it's six teams make the playoffs, and then there's two buys. So it's really only before people trying to pick up defenses. At least that's how it is in my league. Yeah, and I think uh, Seattle's good if anyone has. You know, a lot of times people are going to have them, but maybe they're at that point where, oh, I've got a better defensive matchup with someone else. Again, I'm an obscure stat kind of guy. Uh, eight games in a row where Seattle has played Philadelphia, where they have scored a defensive or special teams touchdown. It goes back to... I believe it's the late 80s. It's just one of those weird streaks that have, I think since Seattle was actually an AFC team, uh, that, that just seems to be prevalent. Uh, I remember a game where actually Lofa Tatupu actually had uh, two defensive TDs against, uh, against them. So, I don't know, it just seems to be uh, karma might be on their side when they're playing Philadelphia. Again, I think that is a game that's all going to be about, if you take them and Seattle wins, I think it's going to be because you're, you're going to see them have about five or six sacks. They really have to get some pressure on the quarterback position. They've got such a good secondary, but uh, they've shown that they can be run upon. They've, they've been very suspect in, in covering tight ends, and I think that's if, if Philadelphia has some success throwing the ball, it's not going to be a Jeremy Macklin or a or Jordan Matthews, who we were very high on and is really putting up some good numbers, and I think a future number one there in Philadelphia. I think if Philly wins this game, it's on the strength of Zach Ertz and, and Brent Selleck and killing Seattle with the tight end position. For some reason, the Seahawks have had uh... – this incredible streak, There's a, it's always risky to play against the Eagles because they score so many different ways on special teams. So whenever I'm starting somebody or, or, or defense, you got to take into consideration that kick returns are a big part of it. So I try to look for teams that uh, you know, tend to score special teams touchdowns because that, that really uh, is a way to score 20-plus points with your defense. And who are some of those other teams that you would target who have great special teams that might get you some extra points there? Well, the Eagles wouldn't be bad because the Seahawks aren't exactly the most explosive offense. Uh, Arizona wouldn't be a bad play because some people would be scared off uh, 
because Kansas City is is a contender. But uh, that that's a team that uh, I would definitely consider playing because they're at home. Obviously, if Detroit's uh, available, uh, I, I they're a no-brainer at home against Tampa Bay. But uh, in terms of special teams, it's tough to forecast, but it's something to take into consideration. I, I also like uh, St. Louis because I think Tavon Austin, too, for a special teams touchdown this week. And uh, with everyone talking about Stedman Bailey, I think he's getting jealous. And they're playing Washington. And I know Colt McCoy, like like DJ said, I agree. I agree that, that Colt McCoy is – is better than uh, than people give him credit for. And in a scenario where they're getting blown out, uh, he'll definitely you know rack up the points like Aaron Brooks did in the late '90s. But they're playing St. Louis, and I even though St. Louis dropped 52 last week, I see that being a, a relatively low-scoring game in Washington on a probably the ultimate, field. The ultimate wild card here, if you're really desperate or you're really like this is just tight, where do I pick up some extra points? Connor Barth at the kicker position. Any kicker for Denver, he's, you know, he comes in, what is it, he kicked five field goals yesterday. He's, yeah. you know, Denver, Denver's good. They've gotten their share of touchdowns, but they've not been as good in the red zone as we've seen in past years. There were, you know, I think uh, Manning was 17 of 34 yesterday, only hit on uh, 50% of his passes. It would be a lot of miscommunication. Again, I think a lot of that comes down to not having Julius Thomas there. He's really that most reliable red zone a target they had, and Demarius Thomas had an inexplicable drop. We, we see him make a, a number of very tough catches in the back of the end zone where he makes a living. He dropped one last night. But uh, Connor Barth definitely got his, his chances, and, and with an offense like Denver, you know, you've always you've got a bunch of extra points. You've got uh, field goals coming at you from just about every angle. So if you're struggling at the kicker position, Connor Barth just kind of emerged and was just signed last week, and he's probably available in just about every league. If you're really in a close matchup and you're, you're figuring out a way to pick up some points, that might be the way to do it. Well, they play a team yeah. next week, Buff- Buffalo, who actually surprisingly has a 7-5 and five record. Do you guys think they have a chance at making the playoffs? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, they they have a shot, but I've been saying, I've been saying all, well, they're overachieving. I've been saying all year, no matter what happens, if they're an 8-8 eight and eight team, going to be, uh, I think the loss to uh, Miami is going to kill them. I think Miami will end up making it. If, if there's going to be a second representative from the AFC East, I think it's going to be Miami. Yeah, I think there's been some overachieving there from Kyle Orton. And he's not really played awful in any of the places he's been. He's just he's never been the guy that you want to kind of pass the torch to or be that franchise-leading quarterback. But he's definitely a guy that's going to come in, reminiscent of like a Gus Farrat from years ago, could just you know just come in and just rifle it anywhere, and and, and you'd be good for some points, a couple of turnovers, and maybe a headbutt in the end zone. But you know, you can, you can be counted on to, to make some big drives. So, but but Buffalo again, tougher defense. I think it kind of screams a little more for uh, the field goal kicking there. And I'd have to say it if he was on a team that was a little bit better or uh, just getting a little more notoriety. It, right now, if you would say JJ Watt is obviously the defensive player of the year, but who's second? Marcel Darius has been playing insane uh, at the defensive tackle position for the Bills. He's able to get. Constant pressure on the quarterback, he, and he plays uh, plays at home, stays in the run, stays true to his lanes. I think he largely gets overlooked. And right now, if you take J.J. Watt out of the equation, he's my defensive player of the year. I love Marcel Darius. Uh, I think the Bills will go in eight. They probably will go in eight because they got Denver and then Green Bay and then and then a trip to Oakland. And any and anybody uh, like you just said, anybody kicks Denver's at home this week. Anybody kicking in Denver is always a good bet. I could probably hit a fifty yarder myself in Denver. The golden toe. They used to call me the golden toe back in uh, paper football. <laughs> golden finger, actually. <laughs> Miami game is about to start, and if Eric Decker does not get 15 fantasy points, I will officially have an undefeated regular season in one of my fantasy football leagues. Thank you very much. That's amazing, Jared. That's amazing. That's funny that you say that because I need Eric Decker to get less than 46 points tonight, so I'm feeling pretty comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I got Caleb Sturgis, too, so probably a little bit more. <laughs> and if Clay gets less than 11 points, then I go in my other league, I go from 11th place to 6th place and actually make the playoffs. Look so at you, a little maestro. Not game. only are you a host, but you're uh, an excellent fantasy football player. That's right. That's right. So who do we quite a jump, 11 to 6. Uh, I'm going to go out on, uh, I mean, obviously the Dolphins, but I think uh, going to Geno Smith was the right call, and I think uh, Geno plays competitive tonight, but Dolphins still win. Jets are just, <laughs> personnel-wise, especially on offense, are just, like, laughable. Joke. 
Going to double them up tonight. Uh, Dolphins 26, Jets 13. Yeah, I like that. I like that guess. I like that guess. You know, when your first receiver is Eric Decker, because uh, Emmanuel Sanders is good, and uh, he's – but Peyton Manning makes people look better. So, I mean, I don't see uh, – just everything about the Jets is, is, is a huge joke to me on offense. Uh, that's why. I thought I'd mention that because I know a lot of Jets fans, and, you know, I like rubbing it in. Because for the years I, when I'm they were uh, – Making the AFC Championship, they were—they're they're the most obnoxious fans in the world. But I'm so happy how bad their offense is. <laughs> I'm booking my uh, my uh, my tickets for the—I uh, don't know—the appearances of, across the country of Rex Ryan and Mike Smith with their speaking tours. I think they're the first two coaches that are fired immediately and probably go on some kind of tour and you know maybe tour the uh, the country together and kind of wallow in, in self pity. So. I'm looking forward to Don't the sleep on Mike, Mike Smith. Smith. Don't sleep on Mike Smith because he's not out of the division yet. And they and they hold the tiebreaker against the Saints. So uh that's, not, that's somebody There's that no if they make the if they make the playoffs you can't get rid of Mike Smith. Brooks Ryan's gone and he'll go on a book tour. You can't manage a football team if you can't manage your body weight, so I mean he's a great defense coordinator, but <laughs> how about Andy Reid though? Yeah, but you know what, Andy Reid but that's all he cares about. He doesn't care about family, he doesn't care about anything. He cares about food and football. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but he's a great coach. He's a great coach. Amazing coach. Rex Ryan's ridiculous behavior is contagious. You'll never see Andy Reid flipping the bird to fans. He's a professional. Rex Ryan's a Ryan, and he comes from Buddy Ryan, who's probably the least professional coach in the history of NFL football, who literally fought Kevin Gilbert, Gilbright, if you ever saw the documentary on that, about the, about the Oilers teams from the 90s. And I have the ultimate theory on why Andy Reid was actually, unfortunately, fired in Philadelphia. There, there seems to be the link there. Of course, he, he went to BYU, was a lineman. Every year he was in Philadelphia, he drafted a Mormon at some point. It was just one of those running gags we had. Who's the Mormon he's going to draft this year? Even Mike Mayock picked up on it near the end of his career. He said he, quote, tends to pick players based on faith. But one year he doesn't draft a Mormon, his last year in Philadelphia he gets fired. So, I don't know. It's one, <laughs> another one of those obscure stats. Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining, everybody. Thanks for listening. And please send us us your comments. Send us your questions for next week. We'll be sure to answer them. We'll even uh, take some callers. Enjoy Monday Night Football. DJ, Zach, thanks for joining. We'll see you next week. Thanks for having us. Thank you, guys. This is redemption When do I bother at all? There's nothing to mention And nothing has changed So I'd rather be working for something Than praying for the rain So I wander on to someone else's